What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMeo, and today I am so excited to welcome John Garish back to the podcast. And John, I want to get right into it here, man, and I want to start talking speed. Um, And I want to start talking about some things that I think are really overlooked you know, we, we started out here real quick, just talking about the world that we live in and the toys and the FOMO of not having them. But really what might be important is your identity and what you do. Absolutely. So let's get into this first. Who is John and how does he identify what they do at the high school? Oh man, that's a tough question. I think it's too, um, it could be kind of two different directions. I want to touch on something real quick. And I know it's something that you and I have um, discussed in the past, but identity is such a big thing, especially in forming a program and forming a, a young student athlete, forming a person. So I think as an individual in, in kind of what we identify in and who we are, um, I always stress to my students to be bigger than just what they are in the classroom or out on the field. So certainly from a standpoint of, of who I am, I guess beyond that, um, I'm, a, I'm a person that um, loves family, loves the community um, and wants to interact and, and you know, God willing impact as many, as many young people, especially the children of the community as I can. So that's kind of how being a high school strength and conditioning coach, that's kind of how I ended up along the path that I am Um, some growth that has come from that so I guess um, long story short I always thought I'd be a college strength and conditioning coach early on and got an opportunity to come back home to South Florida which was probably my next most you know or you know I would say family and then uh, you know South Florida was something that I've always has always been near and dear to me it's some place that I, I really love so the opportunity to come back home was one that I jumped on which is crazy to think about, but I'm going into my 10th year here at North Broward prep. So being a high school strength and conditioning coach was, was my path. And then along that path, anyone that works at a high school, anyone that works at a school in general knows that you're probably going to put a few different hats on. So in that time, I've um, taken on some associate athletic director um, roles and responsibilities. I've taken on some more classroom, not necessarily classroom, but more school day um responsibilities in uh, about six years ago I took over the track and field program which was probably the biggest turning point of my coaching career and then we spoke a little bit off air that this will be my first year as the cross-country head coach here at North Broward Prep so um there's a lot of different you know twists and turns that have have gone along that path I think the thing that has stuck with me throughout is a few things that I really love and enjoy. Some of them I already mentioned, you know, I think, I think uh, oftentimes because a lot of what I share is what we do out on the track or what we do out on the field, my, my love is still in the weight room and my love is what happens um, under a barbell. So that's always been a big passion for me and, and spreading that to as many of our students, as many of our young people as possible and getting them involved in our, in our program I felt always with our weight room, the more students we had in the weight room, not necessarily in a moment, but the more students we had in our program, the more opportunity we had to impact some of those said students. Um, And I felt good about that. I wanted more numbers in our program there. 
it, it trickled into our track and field program where volume of students was a, a, a metric that really mattered to me, wanting to be able to work with and interact with as many of our students as possible. And then my most recent thing I would, I suppose, is my nonprofit, which is South Florida Speed School, which to me, the ultimate goal is to impact as many young people in South Florida as possible. So a large part of our identity as programs is, is relying on a large volume of students. And that also is gonna mean that we're gonna have a large group size that's gonna uh, certainly impact what we think programming wise, both um, in a day and in the big picture. Um, so that is a, a large, large part of what we do is working with a large number of students um, and certainly getting creative in the ways that we can create the best um, training environment for those students and an environment and opportunity for growth. And one that I'm sure is challenging in the high school environment when you do have a large group, because, you know, jokingly, we were talking about it, you know, it's falling on a budget, if mm -hmm. you may, when it comes to the toys and all these things that everyone seems to think that, you know, the FOMO of what we do, um, you know, the toys are, are what ends up being really important. But in reality, it's the creativity and your ability to understand the basics and build it within the group. Yeah. And, and something that's great with toys is, um, you know, we can talk about research in any different aspect, but I think um, whether it be in just, um, you know, I feel like as a new tool comes out, um, many people get excited about it. Again, there's probably a lot of real benefit from it. And some of the, um, some of the apparatuses might be better used for better used for, uh, a private training or a one-on-one -on -one deal. Some might be not necessary until an athlete is a professional, if it's ever necessary to be candid with you. Um, but I think as new tools come out um, and, and people try them out and we get some more research on the matter, it does provide more information, which is great. And sometimes that information does suggest whether it's through a sales piece or, or true research, um, that it's something that would be beneficial for the students. Um, and then when we find that information out, the answer isn't necessarily always to spend a lot of money on that equipment. It's what is it about that equipment that's adding value to the athlete's training regimen? And so if it's in some situations, if I was working one-on-one -on -one with a bunch of pros, maybe it would be necessary to spend a lot of money on equipment that's going to give us a lot of data and a lot of information or um, that'll, that'll add to our, our training uh, tutelage, so to speak. Um, but for us, in many ways, it's not a, a realistic solution. So it's if there's some input that's going to come from that research from the piece of equipment, whatever it may be, we can talk on down the line, but um, what is it that might add value to our program? Maybe it's uh, some form of constraint, maybe it's some form of uh, data tracking um, that, okay, even if that's not necessarily gonna be a realistic solution for us, what can we pull from it and how can we create uh, you know, a solution of our own to kind of connect those dots. And I think that's where a lot of the coaching creativity comes in. It's not necessarily just a knock on that technology. It's more so just, again, it's not realistic for some coaches. So if that is going to add benefit, how can we find our own way to do it? Would you mind walking through an example of that? Um, I'm trying to think of a more expensive, like technological um, you know, development in, in recent years. Um, but one that's very simple to me, I think a lot of coaches um, see that, again, this is more so just a constraint, but a wicket drill. 
Um, and I think maybe we spoke about this last time. Um, but a, a wicket run is something that I see as valuable for many young students, especially when we're talking about track and field athletes, especially when we're talking about sprinters that spend, uh, you know, any duration at, at upright um, uh, uh, sprint mechanics. So, however, a wicket run is not going to be a necessary tool for all. For instance, we had a camp on Sunday and there was 170 kids there from four years old to 24 years old. So for some of the more advanced athletes, maybe so that wicket runs would be necessary. In fact, probably still, even if I had a group of um, 15 to 20 of them, it might not still be the solution because everybody's spacing is going to be different. So then utilizing some other form of constraint to kind of um, give the same or provide the athlete the same environment to um, create their own solutions through other constraints of may there, maybe it be um, for any coaches that have followed me, maybe like a different hand position um, on their hips or going through a hand position or a med ball run, uh, meaning like hugging a med ball. Um, there's, there's a wide range of different ways if coaches have seen us use PVCs or any other different constraints when we're sprinting. The reason that we use that is because a wicket run is not a, a reliable solution for our large group. Uh, does that make sense? And did that answer it? I don't know. I did feel like I kind of danced around it. No, I think that that's great because I think that what I really think is that's just going to lead me to the next question, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. Um, and that is how you look at those as sort of a, um, a progression and or a regression or are you simply using those as near parallel alternatives uh, when it comes to what you know is is best available for the group? Sure. Um, no, I like the way you put that. I don't know that I'd necessarily say it's a near parallel alternative, but I think there's a lot of valuable feedback that we can get from that. Again, just constraint-based sprinting. Um, that is going to be valuable in the session. Perhaps it could even add more value um, than a wicket run, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it it is a parallel um, solution in terms of like a replacement. I still like to use it. Like I said, when I when I have the when I get familiar with a young student athlete and we get in the place time and place that it's necessary and it makes sense. And again, that might be based off what our uh, uh, this is. It, it sounds great and it looks great to put on paper that, you know, at this time of year, we're going to commit to uh, wicket runs at different spacings, and that's going to be appropriate to all of our kids. That sounds really good. But again, from a, a standpoint of who our programs are and the kids that I interact with, especially at those speed sessions that are on weekends that maybe I'm seeing kids once a week, hopefully I am seeing them 53 weeks out of the year, but it's probably unlikely. I might see one kid this week and not, and not again until a month later because they have a little league football game or something like that. So point being as great as it sounds to be able to say, this is what it looks like on paper. This is the time of year. This is the month. This is the day. Instead, it kind of shakes out based on what our school schedule is, what their sports schedules are, um, where they're at at different times of the year. And the reason why I'm branching off on that is because maybe there's a maybe there's an advanced level athlete, for instance, uh, say there's a, a college level football player um, that's training with me through the summer and I only have a month with them. He's somebody maybe that went to our school. I've been working with them for a long time. 
we could probably with the expectation that his training regimen is obviously where um, in a good place coming from a high level program, a high level college program with us for a month, we're probably going to not spend too much time waiting to get back into wicket runs. Because again, I think that's something that is adds value to our training methods and something that we use. So um for those athletes that I've worked with for a while, that's probably, I don't know if I want to say the gold standard in terms of that example, um, but that, that is something that we want to use um, because I, I see its benefit mostly from a postural standpoint um, in sprint mechanics more than everything, but it really does force the athlete to create their own solutions, which is what also happens with those other constraints. Now, with those other constraints, you're going to have... Um, different um so word i'm looking for i guess uh different priorities from a movement standpoint meaning if we're going like an overhead sprint generally what that's going to challenge maybe is is hip action and hip position and limb position at upright postures if they can appropriately get into those postures versus so where that would probably challenge the action that's coming from the lower half because the upper half is kind of, it's not a fixed posture, but from the waist up, we're trying to enhance a more upright posture that's going to then challenge what happens from the hip um, versus maybe say like, uh, if you were hugging like one of the big med balls, I won't name drop a company necessarily, but a, you know, a, a synthetic med ball, um, and telling the athlete maybe to strike the med ball with their thigh or knee on every stride, that then is kind of enabling uh, what ought to be happening at the lower half or, you know, the preference or the, um, the uh, I'm trying to think of a good word that I'm trying to look for here, but um, the priority is going to be on the lower half um, through that drill. So whereas some of the constraints can really focus on on one particular uh, portion or one particular, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm stumbling over words here, but where whereas constraints, you could focus on something in particular, uh, a wicket run to me still kind of puts everything together and, and challenges the athlete and their, their entire system. No, I think that that makes great sense. And I think that what, what you're getting at is that you just have to do what the game demands when the game demands it, you know, going back, you brought up that, you know, the school calendar makes things challenging at times. And then, you know, who you may or may not be able to have access with in the summertime impacts that as well. Um, but when we, if we were to go back and, you know, Graybeard takes out his, his magic wand and can have things in a perfect periodized progression sure um alliterations aside there um can we get to if john had his perfect scenario when you're talking about building constraints or using wickets or however it may be what would be your ideal progression for these uh for these young people is there like a specific um, we would like to do X before Y or A before B, or is it something simply that you're out there and depending on the group and understanding what these people need to work on, uh, today's probably a good day for X. Yeah, well, 
I think yes and no. I think there's, I think um, sprinting is such a dynamic movement, obviously, and such a violent movement that has so many moving parts, literally. Um, but I do feel as though with constraints, the, the, the worry and the beauty of sprinting is that it's not just a collection of what happens at your head, a collection of what happens at your shoulders. So what happens at your head, plus your shoulders, plus your elbows, plus your hips, plus your knees, plus your ankles. Um, it's obviously how the entire system happens and moves together. Um, I know that goes without saying, but my point in saying that is there's still different, um, there, there's a, a scope of movements and a scope of focuses that we can have that, again, some of the main things that I see a young athlete, and I'm going to get to the um, question, the reason I, I'm just kind of uh, prefacing it with this, some things that I see oftentimes more often than not with young athletes is a, a collection of issues. One of the main ones is going to be like, they're going to do something wrong with their posture, whether they're entirely kyphotic or entirely um, over rotated forward or trying to think, stay tall and kind of going in a lordotic posture and sending their shoulders way back. Something's probably happening at the shoulders because they're using their shoulders as their driver, which is, you know, kind of a common thing for a field sport athlete. Obviously they're going to want their control of their shoulders in the direction that they're moving. That's, that's understood. So when they're thinking, try to move fast, they're going to send their shoulders way forward and keep in that kind of over-rotated um, position, or they're going to think like some coach told them run tall. So they're going to push their shoulders back like they would do if their mom was at home telling them to stand tall and they weren't standing tall enough. Um, the next thing below that, I would say is probably the, you know, we've, we've discussed backside and frontside action. I feel like all coaches have. So um, I don't think I need to go way into that, but oftentimes our young student athletes are showing a lot more backside action. And that might be a result of the over-rotated uh, upper body posture, total body posture, um, or it might be a, you know, kind of something that leads to it. So regardless, those are two of the main things that we see is what happens at the upper half, something up with the posture and what happens at the lower half, something with the, the lower, the limb mechanics. So there's two different sort of methods of constraints separate from say a wicket run that we would look at. So something that is going to uh, challenge or um, remind them of appropriate posture is going to be some of our overhead runs. It could be a PVC. So a perfect example, I'll use this example of us through track season. We'll go, um, let's see, I mean, say we have a nine week program, just say we have nine weeks. We're going to do fly 30s with a PVC overhead and a PVC or, and no constraint overhead and just normal running arms. Okay. So week one would be a fly 30 week. Two would be a fly 40 week. Three would be a fly 50. All right. So we would do two reps with the PVC overhead with our hands in like the most comfortable position they want to, which they'll probably go pretty wide and then they'll open and run with no PVC. Do you, so do you follow? So basically say like four fly thirties, um, on week one, two would be with the PVC overhead um, and two would be without. So another added benefit is, and I realize I'm talking about technology, even in us kind of opening this conversation in not necessarily anti-technology, um, uh, but 
laser timing and fly timing is pretty efficient for us and, and a reasonable and, and, and reliable solution for us that really helped our large groups and we can run through them pretty quickly. So um, we'll do an overhead PVC run. Like I said, hands in the most comfortable position they want to. Um, first week would be 30s, second week would be 40s and we drop uh, probably one of the PVC runs on the 40s so that we're lessening the volume there. And then on the, the fly 50s, We'll drop a PVC run and an open run. It'll just hit a PVC overhead run and in uh, open sprint for fly 50. Then the next week we would come back and with that PVC, we would go a more, a closer grip with their hands and that closer grip with the hands, although it is restricting rotation from the upper half because their hands are closer and it's kind of constraining what they're able to do from a, a rotation uh, piece um, with the PVC up overhead. That's not, for the purpose of restricting rotation. And that's something that I always stress to our students when we take the PVC away is that sprinting certainly is a rotational movement. You and I can get more into detail about speaking rotation and we'll use terminology that I wouldn't necessarily use with our kids. But the main point that I stress to them is that it is not for the purpose of when we take the PVC away that I want them to imagine they're running like a robot. That's not what we want. So if anything, it's actually gonna resist, restrict their rotation a little bit when their hands are in close and their lats are kind of uh, like lengthened, locked in, their, their, their position seems locked in um, from their hips onto their hands, that then when we take away the PVC, actually there seems to be hopefully a more fluid sort of rotation that is beneficial to them on those um, open sprints. And then say the last one, again, this is just using overhead positions as an example, would actually be like a hands together, like hands clasped overhead um, and that would restrict it even more again they would look like they're kind of running robotic and it would be challenging them from a from a sprint standpoint there and then the idea is kind of take it away from a um, a you know uh, just to allow them to move more fluidly and efficiently and that's that again that's the idea that's the goal we have seen benefits from that. Um, and I feel like it's been something that has pr been productive. I'll say the main thing with many of the constraints is the main thing that I'll say with um, oftentimes when I talk to coaches about drills, um, these are, if for nothing else, yeah, I, I wish it was like a magic pill, but I think more so than anything, it's context. And it enables an opportunity to make a challenging thing to talk about, even to you coach, um, even some things, I don't know that we spoke about this the last time, but some things that I often struggle with, and I know my, my um, coaching, uh, I don't know if downfalls necessarily is the word, but I'm not always the best with my words. So I want to find ways that I can have the athletes feel what I'm trying to say. So with those constraints, I can say this is this is why we're doing this. You know, when I try, you know, when I discussed this with you guys a few weeks ago, whatever the matter is, this is what you feel. This is why we're doing it. So the idea is for the athletes to, to then have some context. So then, okay, then they can practice some of those things when we run the open flies. But if it's track season, when you get in the blocks, you better not be thinking about what your degree of rotation should be, or else you're going to run very slow. If it's football season, if you're thinking about where your shoulders need to be instead of what the play is that you need to run or the route that you need to run, um, you're probably not going to see the field anyway. So um, that's the idea is to provide some context with them. And again, that's just a, a, a small example of some of our overhead, uh, our, our major overhead progression through the spring. 
Um, but I think that's probably a good place to start because it hopefully paints a picture of what we're thinking of there. Yeah, and I think that in in any situation, whether it's a a constraint a constraints led drill or a special exercise, in a sense, you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to put them in a position where they feel what you're hoping for them to feel and the action that they're driving carries over to the sporting exercise. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I would argue that, you know, how you get the point across almost doesn't matter because what you're doing is you're putting them in a situation where pun intended they're literally running into what you want them to do mm -hmm. certainly yeah that's certainly the goal um you know that's the goal and again it's just kind of understanding um what you know some of the things that i might struggle with coaching wise and also from a large group's perspective i mean we can i can i can briefly touch on you know one thing that i want to say and add a constraint and we can flow through it and fly through it pretty quickly um, with a large number of students instead of, again, we could get, we get very coachy sprinting wise. And I think generally, certainly from my experiences, I've, I think I've done more harm than good when I've gotten, you know, exceptionally over coachy in, in sprint technique. So we want to use constraints again, just like you said, just so they can feel it um, and be able to apply it. So then transferring back into kind of where it all started how does this sort of idea and thought process impact the work you're doing in the weight room with these young people as well yeah so my perspective has changed even though i'm a weight room first coach i mean i i think even our sprinters know that i think all of our uh sport teams know that i'm going to see them in their off-season strength and conditioning program and we're going to in on paper and in their mind we're starting with what happens in the weight room. But I think if there's been a perspective of mine that's changed, it's actually starting with what's happening on the field and working our way back. Now that could go as far as obviously what's happening uh, through their practice script and practice schedule. Um, and then the next thing is how do we prepare them for that by using what we're doing out on the field? Um, and then the next thing is really using so to me, the way that my perspective has changed is now using utilizing the weight room as an assistant to what we're doing out on the field, instead of kind of planning what our field workouts were going to be around what our, you know, heavy squat day was. Um, so that if anything, that's changed. Um, and that'll also kind of vary based on the time of year. Um, for instance, in our track season through our spring, where that's kind of the end of the school year, and we know that we're probably going to have some, um, we're going to probably have some busy time. Um, sorry, let me just kind of dial that back. When we're when we're in the spring and we're in track season, track's going to be the last season of the uh, sport of the year. So we're going to know we're going to have the summer that we're going to be able to spend quite a time, quite a bit of time in the weight room for our football guys, our football slash track athletes if if the weight room is going to be a necessity for their sport that's going to be something that we want to make sure we touch on in the summer um so the the priority is still always what's going out on the field or in the spring on uh on the track 
but in the spring tra- the weight room is definitely secondary uh for the summer where we're kind of preparing we're preparing for some por- some sports where uh the weight room is an absolute necess- necessity and i'm not saying that it's not in track because again i'm a weight room guy so to speak um but weight room is definitely going to be secondary to what we're doing in in track season so based off what our our acceleration day our top speed day our speed endurance day our technical day whatever it may be out on the track i'm going to make sure that our weight room work is going to be like absolutely not take anything away from those sessions. Whereas in the summer, it's a time that we do have to maximize that time in the weight room and make sure that um, we're getting, we're, we're lifting four days a week in the summer versus three in track season. Sometimes in track season, it's actually two, um, but we still got to get out on the field and prepare them for their seasons. We're out on the court for our, our volleyball athletes and preparing for their season. So again, that perspective has changed. Um, it still needs to um, take precedence for the sports that it's absolutely necessary for. And again, it's not necessarily that um, it's not necessary for track. It's just that it, um, based on the times of year, we really have to prepare in here in the summer. So that's understood. And that, um, you know, that kind of shakes and moves our, 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 weekly program as well you want to run through that a little bit so how does that when you look at um i'm sorry we're like we're transitioning into out of the summer right now and into our fall so i'm like i feel like the spring was years away i can i can kind of i can i can kind of explain so say this is one thing john that i think that a lot of people and pointing the thumb here um have a hard time wrapping their head around when when we get to looking at the idea of i don't want things that are going to get in the way of what the goal was of that speed session sure i think that those are the the that's the goal that's hidden at the end of the rainbow if you may for a lot of us because i think that we get stuck in our ruts of what we think is important when it comes to the physical preparation work that more often than not is the general strength work. Mm-hmm. But tying this together, I think would be really important. So when you look at it and you say the primary objective is acceleration or top end speed or speed endurance, how does that then, I don't know, dictates the right word, but that's all I can come up with right now what is being done in the secondary and tertiary work done in the weight room yeah sure so i mean just generally for me um my my priority is going to be placed on that top speed day and track season so again we're going back to the spring and talking about i'm putting my track and field coach hat back on and understanding that i have to oversee the entire program and what their breakdown is going to be for that day our um sprinters hurdlers jumpers are all going to take part in our top speed session. Our throwers are going to take part in only in our acceleration session as a group. Um, our distance runners as well as um, I've, I've now taken over that side of the program as well. Um, whereas um, the sprinters, hurdlers, jumpers will do acceleration, top speed and speed endurance on a weekly basis. Um, the distance runners will do a little bit less from an end of acceleration and, and this similar volume from max velocity and more volume on speed endurance 
throwers, like I said, will just do acceleration. If I'm missing anybody in there, I apologize, but I don't think it's important for the sake of this point, not that they're not important, but for the sake of this point, that regardless, if we're talking mostly about our sprinters, and I also want to emphasize with complete clarity that all of our track and field athletes are multi-sport athletes. I can't think of a single kid, some distance runners, but I can't think of a single kid in any of the sprint or field events that is exclusively track. So that's also, again, talking about the identity of a program. That's 100% what our scope is and, and what we want to see from our program. And I think that's what makes our track and field program kind of our, our community sports program here. So that max velocity day is going to be the most important session of the week. Now, the reason why I oftentimes, especially in this conversation, I'm stumbling over words is because there's never a perfect week for us, meaning we're in track season, we might practice, I mean, excuse me, we might compete on a Tuesday, we might compete on the next Saturday, we might compete two weeks from then on a on a Tuesday, and then come back on a Thursday and have to figure out what events would be right for them, if at all. So things really are fluid. And again, that's what is the beauty of working at this level that is what's the challenge of working at this level and that's what probably is the most fun about this level um to me anyways it's it's the ultimate challenge of figuring out how we can how we can hit and and train our most important thing or things and understand that yeah, still the the competition is is what we're training for so we have to understand that too but the rest ought to be just kind of what's adding value to those sessions. So we're not going to touch a lower body lift in the weight room within 48 hours of our top speed session before anyway. So again, if it's a, if it's a perfect breakdown of us, I've actually gone away from, um, whereas previously I would say if we have a five day week of practice and we're not competing that week, um, Monday might for some sound like the day that makes the most sense to go a top speed day, but we really can't attest for or account for what our students are doing on weekends and their kids. So I'm going to think of it with, you know, think of them in a positive regard regardless, but still they're kids and they're going to probably be eating sweets and they're going to probably be sleeping at different hours and their body might be coming back Monday worse off than we would want it to be even on that Friday. So Monday, I felt as though some of those days our kids came out a little lethargic for practice. So I shifted. If I were to have a perfect week, I would probably still go that top speed session on Wednesday, which would mean that we're going to go acceleration and probably more emphasis on an upper body lift on that Monday. Um, Tuesday would come and probably be like a technical event day. Again, I know I realize I'm getting in the in the track and field talk, but at least this can put a gain help coaches listening gain perspective. And then our, our max velocity day, which I already really shared what that might look like. You're not talking about a large volume and those flies, I'll give them pretty much in track season through, through the summer, I'll give them a designated distance uh, for what their fly is going to be. But because through track season, I want it to be a true top speed fly. I give them whatever approach they're comfortable with. So if they want to, if they feel like they need a long jump approach uh, to get into a fly 30, that'll be their best time. I want them to hit their best time, whatever it takes for them to get that. So if, if that's where we're, um, 
putting our, our max velocity day, we'll come in probably with a, a slower moving, heavier lower body day, at, uh, lower body session, I should say, after they hit that uh, max velocity session, which is our probably our, it, not probably, it is our shortest session um, in duration of where we're at on the track. But again, for me, that's our, that's our session that we're, that we're working around quite literally it being in the middle of the week. Um, and then Thursday, we'll come back with probably a, another light uh, technical or event day. And then Friday would be when we maybe say, I don't know if I said on the front end, but yeah, I did. Monday was the acceleration day. And then Friday, we would close out the week with more volume on a speed endurance day. And we can get a little more volume um, in the weight room again. Now, that time of year, whereas many coaches will kind of try to um, focus on some specificity in the weight room, um, that's actually when I feel I get the most general in the weight room. And that's not to say that we're going, you know, um, any sets at eight to 12 reps by any means, but um, we just want to keep them healthy and we want to add value to what we're doing on those sessions. And we feel as though those sessions out on the track or on the field ought to be more than enough from a specificity standpoint um, to what we're to not have to add all that much in the weight room, if that makes sense. And hopefully it does. So kind of the same goes, you know, the same would go for any of their sports. If an athlete's in, in season in the fall, um, we're going to back, go back to being as general as we can in the weight room. Again, these are kids, these are kids. So anything you give them in the weight room, for the most part, they're going to benefit from, um, especially if we're seeing them all through the year. And the more, um, the more we treat them and train them throughout their seasons, uh, the more weeks we see them in a row and the more likely we are to see them throughout the year. And I think really good things could happen with that. So hopefully did that at least paint a good picture of what a spring week would look like? Yeah, man. I, I actually, I, I think that's fantastic because it gives enough of a blueprint to understand that keeping the main thing, the main thing is the primary objective and finding the things that fit around that. Not just when we're talking about what you're doing but how you're doing it yeah um is vital and i think that all too often especially younger coaches and this is a mistake that i definitely made growing up and should i still probably make it more than i'd like to admit is when you sit there and you say well we only need three or four fly 50s mm -hmm. right you say well but i still got 90 minutes I know. Yeah. You know, so you're going to sit here and you're going to add all these things. So the, the things that I really loved and I hope that people caught on to is that you're doing as much as is needed, not as much as possible. Sure. And then you're focusing in and keeping that same thought process in the weight room on those big days. Mm -hmm. The big sprint days are the big lift days. Mm -hmm. The volume days are just some volume pump up feel good days. Yep. And the acceleration days, I'm guessing, are going to be your big bang, explosive, get out, go. Yep. I love it. Yep. I, it's it's so simple. It just might work, John. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, I think then, you know, to just transition into what we did in the summer is, you know, understanding, again, I mentioned that they're multi-sport for the most part, all of our kids and track will probably be the only sport that they're in that's predominantly linear 
Um, so understanding that coming right off of track season, we'll have our state championship is, I think, like the end of week one of spring football. So thankfully, I have a tremendous relationship with our football coach. He's actually on our track staff. We work so well together um, in terms of uh, who's doing what and how we can make it happen. And if they're in our, if they're in the state championship, he understands they're missing a week. Um, yet and still, there's a necessity to obviously prepare them for the demands of their sport. That's not going to be, you know, completely. I don't want to say completely, but predominantly linear. So that's when we start to add in some more lateral movement is, you know, there might be uh, as soon as for the most part, our track season ends, they'll have like two to three weeks leading into spring. Um, we'll give them a very small introductive dosage and our football coach does a good job of, of, of taking it slow through spring ball as well. Um, just to be as preventative or reductive as in, uh, of injuries as we can through the spring and prepare them for what they're going to see there. Um, but then in the summer, that's where we need to fill that bucket, so to speak. And, and you know, hopefully from a technical standpoint, uh, be able to coach them and, and help our kids out is, is spending more time in the summer in multidirectional means. So that's another thing that has been a challenge for me. And um, I've grown to love track so much and I've grown to want to be like, well, yeah, it's only, you know, yeah, at this point, we're coming to the end of, the, of July. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's only July. Um, but I want this kid to run a 10, six in January and February, whatever it may be. Um, I want to, you know, spend more time in, in our, our linear top speed sprints when that might not be what's the best preparation for those kids necessarily, if they're preparing for a football season. So that's definitely been something that I've, um, wanted to work on and I think continue to work on and is necessary in this, in this model that in the summer, instead of the emphasis being on acceleration, um, max velocity, max velocity and speed endurance, it's more so going to be, um, max, uh, excuse me, it's more so going to be acceleration, uh, change of direction and agility. Not that we're necessarily going to have three sessions broken up that way. It's probably not as concisely split as it is in track season, but those are the buckets that we want to fill work capacity. Yeah. I've gotten to a point where I feel like we have a good relationship with all of our, our coaching staffs and we've went a, wet, a direction that's sort of a way, maybe the way that they thought of conditioning tests and best preparing for the athletes for their sports. And they've really, you know, enabled and allowed us to, um, or, or trusted us to take care of that, that portion. And that's, that's been uh, something that's helped us a lot in the summer. So again, summer is going to look a little bit different. We're going to have four days in the weight room. And sometimes we might be in the weight room before they're out on the field for seven on seven, or before we're out on the field for a multi-directional um, session that it's still, we're still going to adjust the things that we do in the weight room. And we're still going to adjust the days so that it makes the most sense and aligns with what we're doing on the field. But again, I understand that we've got, you know, eight to 10 weeks in the summer to prepare some of our guys for football season. And it's going to look a little bit different than, you know, acceleration, max velocity and speed endurance days. Um, and same really goes for all of our student athletes in all sports. But that's just kind of the easy example, because that's the large, large number of kids that I see here. Yeah, and it. It just takes. The track season, which for the football athlete is really 
general physical preparation mm -hmm. and takes sure. it then and takes a block of time to build that that you can then take those increased outputs and improve their ability to put their foot in the ground and change direction absolutely which would really follow greatly closely to the progressions that Berkashansky's written so again it's so simple it just might work but we're hoping well i don't i don't know if there's a lot of hope to it man it seems like you guys are doing some pretty big time stuff down there and you know i don't know a lot of people that just hope that end up you know being able to call themselves the strength and conditioning coach of the year on a national level so you're doing some great work and Thank you're doing you, some awesome things and you're sharing some great content and you're putting out this great community project so john let, let's just remind everybody like where can they keep up with all this where can they see what you're doing where can they learn more and where, where can they see it yeah in, instagram is where i'm at most um i'll usually log on to twitter to just see what's going on i i, I haven't posted on twitter or tweeted for a while um, but instagram is the place that i'm um i'm on the most and it's at coach underscore garish g-a-r-r-i-s-h um, I've got my, my nonprofit on there as well. It's SoFlow Speed School. Um, but I usually, you know, you can now, um, collaborate on posts and stuff. I, I'd say coach Garish is the place that you can, you can find most of that's where I'll share most of the content. Um, and that's where I'll discuss most of, um, our training methods and whatnot. So that's, that's probably the best place. Um, would love to connect with anybody, um, you know, on anything from, from strength and conditioning at the high school level. Uh, to track and field to you know combining those programs like we've 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 done and tried to do and and also the nonprofit which is has really really become my baby over the last um especially the last couple years um and that's that's where you know it's we're at a good spot it's never i i had i was challenged by some of my mentors when i took a high school job that they basically told me just um, don't get complacent you know i do think it's a this is such a comfortable awesome position that i could see why they challenged me on that and we have gotten to a place at on our campus here that i think we've got a really good program going i've got a great group of young coaches that want to help out graduates that come and help us run the program um, and that that new challenge has really been what's what's taking off with South Florida Speed School. Um, so, you know, again, uh, you'll see me post a lot about it because it's it's become one of the things that I'm most passionate about. Um, but I certainly love to share content on there as well. Yeah, man, it's sharing awesome stuff. Thank you. Doing great work. And this is a great 45 minutes, John. I can't thank you enough for your, your time today, bro. This is this is great. Um, and everybody, if you don't, I don't know why, but make sure you hop over to the gram and give him a follow. Um, he said tweet. I don't know if like, can we say that anymore? Like, what are we supposed to call it now? Because it's X. Like, oh, yeah. See, that's how little I know. I saw some tweets about it. <laughs> I, I saw I saw some posts about it. And I don't know. I I, I feel like there's some information on Twitter, but. Um, I, you know, I've, I've kind of, kind of gone away from it. Um, Instagram's just been easier for me. I share mostly video and pictures anyway, certainly, um, um, you know, maybe with the caption or two, but, um, for the most part, again, that's the, that's the easiest way for me to connect, um, and where I've spent most of the last, last few years. Yeah, man. Well, listen, John, awesome stuff. 
so grateful for your time today buddy and and, you, and as always man like keep on keeping on keep doing great things man rooting hard for you up here appreciate it man same here same here always love what you do and um really appreciate what you've done for our profession and and all coaches like myself well appreciate that man thank you so much and thanks again for spending the time with us today yes sir thank you and as always thank you for everything y'all do for us here at central virginia sport performance we'll be back next week with another awesome guest we'll see you then <laughs>